Hey, Danas and Beckys, what you're about to hear is an encore presentation of one of our favorite episodes from the Don't Ask Tig archives. Please enjoy. Hey, listeners, if you don't hear me in your feed next week, relax. We're taking a quick break and we'll be back in three weeks with more episodes of your favorite podcast. Take some deep breaths. Go outside. If you miss me, maybe listen to some old episodes. Don't Ask Tig will return April 20th. But if you just can't wait for more, why not come check out my live show in the meanwhile? In case you haven't heard, my show is called Hello Again. Tickets are at tignotaro.com. Let's get to the show. Yeah, I um I had a I I really did like <laughs> How is my <laughs> the construction going? I'd like to point out to the listeners, I don't know how this is being covered up. I have no way of knowing if this can be covered up. But uh, just before I got on, it was explained to me that on either side of Tig's house, yes. where she's recording her podcast, they're doing construction. Yeah. And both houses. Both houses. Ground are, up. Re- rebuilt. Rebuilt. And so mm-hmm. mostly it's been okay. I mean, I can hear people working. But yeah. just right now, about nine power saws went off, and it really it does sound like someone someone's building a jet airplane uh-huh. uh, in the same room where you're doing the podcast. Yes. And um, it's, it's ridiculous. Don't ask Tig, I'm Tig Notaro. And to quote my next guest, all I ask is please don't be cynical. If you work really hard and you're kind, amazing things will happen. The person who spoke those words is a host, podcaster, and producer. You know and love him from Late Night with Conan O'Brien, The Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien, and TBS's Conan. My dear old pal, Conan O'Brien, welcome to Don't Ask Tig. Thank you uh, for having me, Tig. I do appreciate that, and that was sweet that you quoted me. Yeah, I was out of my mind when I said that. I don't. <laughs> I, I didn't mean any of it. I think. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, and I take it back. Okay. All right. Well, what what should I have said when I was starting the show? Yeah, something like, uh, as my next uh, guest uh, said famously, "I'm the strongest man alive. Uh, <laughs> I can I can take anyone in this bar." Um, you know, just some kind of braggadocio. That would have been, I think, more fun for me. Okay. You know? My apologies right out of the gate for the terrible beginning of yeah. this episode. Well, there's nothing we can do now. We just have to live with it. Yeah. We don't have post-production on this show. So. Oh, God, no. Me neither. Yeah. I'm constantly yeah. – uh, terrible things happen on my podcast, and we just let it roll. They could easily be fixed for as little as like $45, and I refuse to spend that money. So, Well, you don't have that kind of cash. Who has that just lying around, you know? Mm. 
I know a few people. Probably. Yeah. Well, yeah. you're friends with a lot of like big financiers. I, know I am. you travel in those circles. Yeah. Those are my good friends. We connect. <laughs> it's never about the business. It's just, it's fully like, I get you, you get me. Yeah. Let's hang. Yeah. 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 Those are your friends. That's the crowd you roll with. And um, <laughs> I'm happy for you. I'm happy that you found your people. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and Oh, go ahead. Were you going to interview me on my podcast? No, I just always like to have my sentences run on, sort of like a William Faulkner. Mm-hmm. The sentence just goes on and on and on, and you never quite know when it's over. I was going to say a nice thing, which is I always have fun whenever we do anything together, so I've been looking forward to doing this podcast. Have you really? I have, actually. Uh, you're someone who, you've got such an interesting mind, I never know where it's going to go, and so, yes, this is a bright spot in my oh, day. Oh, good. Oh, good. Well, that the feeling is mutual. And I had so much fun doing your podcast. And I mean, are you still enjoying doing that? I do. Yeah, I really do. I think one of the keys to this thing, mm-hmm. and I think it's helped me on the TV shows, plural, I guess, throughout the years, is I do like talking to people. And so if you were with me and we were walking around, Yes, I'd be chatting people up left and right. I do like to talk. I think it just, it's, I had a grandfather like that who just would talk with anybody and could talk with anybody for hours. And so I genuinely do enjoy doing the podcast because I'm usually talking to someone that, uh, yeah, I want to find out what makes this person tick. So. so just blowing down the street, you, you just, you enjoy just talking to anyone and everyone. You're, you're like my son, Finn. He just, he's a talker. How old is Finn now? Well, he and his brother, they'll be six in June. Right. So I'm a lot like Finn in that yeah. I have very little control over my emotions. <laughs> <laughs> I have a very primitive, primitive sense of the world around me. Now, Conan. That's me. Yes. You probably do remember because it was probably one of the biggest highlights for you. But your podcast, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, mm-hmm. beat don't ask Tig. Yeah, in the Ambie Awards for best comedy podcast. Yeah, you've never let me live that down. No, and every time I see you, not a lot of people carry the Ambie Award around, <laughs> but I had it made into a necklace, which is awkward because it's heavy. And um, I like. Well, you're to... the strongest guy in the room. Remember exactly, exactly. And I've got thick neck muscles. Yes, but I love nothing more. I know exactly where you live, Tig. I love nothing more than walking by your house. <laughs> Wearing my Ambi Award around my neck, and I look like this sort of futuristic Mr. T. It's painful, and it's rude. And to be honest, I don't even know what an Ambi looks like. Well, I do. Yeah, I know you do. What does it look like? Because uh, nobody fell for this story about you walking around with an Ambi around your neck. <laughs> <laughs> what does an Ambi look like? It is, uh, it's made of lucite, and it's- Are you look- looking at it right now? I have, a, I have a whole bunch of them right here. No, I don't know where it is. Um, that's it. That's right. I don't know where it is. It's a large, it's a large Lucite Ambien. It's just an Ambien. That's, uh, that's why they call it the Ambi, is because How? our podcasts are there to put people gently to sleep. How dare you? Yeah. Now, Conan, because this is an advice show, I just want to ask you, uh-huh. who do you go to for advice? Well, my wife... Uh, is very smart. She's a good partner. Yes. Uh, you know, people always make that joke. This is my better half. Yeah. I really do feel that way. I, I feel like I married up. My wife, Liza, is very smart. She's got a really good sense of humor. 
She tolerates my foolishness up to a point and then says, all right, let's knock that off. Yeah. We've got stuff to do. Uh, she's the first person I go to. She gives really good advice. And I also have a bunch of people that you would know just in my professional life. Uh-huh. And for anything tech-related, I go to my son, who is a tech whiz. And absolutely horrified that I'm allowed to have an iPhone (laughs) or a computer because I can't turn them on. I'm a Luddite. Uh I don't know how these things work. So I go to different people for different advice, but I would say primarily my wife and a couple of the people that you know. All right. Well, um, are you ready, Conan? uh, I feel like we're all warmed up and ready to like help the people out there in the world that really need our help. I give great advice And everyone should do exactly what I tell them to do today. Let's do it. This first question concerns parenting. Hmm. Anne writes, my son celebrated his sixth birthday. His grandmother offered to put on a magic show to entertain the partygoers. Most of the kids were engaged, but one little boy just repeated the refrain, she cheats, she cheats continually throughout the performance and would not be shushed. This was distracting for everyone. Tig, as the mother of young boys yourself, what would you consider to be the best way to handle such a situation? Well, first of all, she's talking about the magician, right? The grandmother. She was doing the magic show. Yeah. And I think that the grandmother's the performer. Yeah. As you know, Tig, it's the performer's job to shut down the heckler. You know how I shut him down? How? I say, I'm sorry you feel that way. That's great. And it truly shuts it down. Shuts it down. I don't fight fire with fire. I just say, nah, I'm sorry that you feel that way. And then I move on. How do you deal with a heckler? Uh, First of all, I've never been heckled. That's impossible. It's never happened. I've seen your shows. Nice, nice. But it's never, no one's ever... And I actually am known in the business as the comic who's never been heckled. Uh, Heckless? Heckless. I'm heckless. Heckless. Uh, It sounds like a Greek hero. (laughs) I am heckless. I have never been heckled. (laughs) You know, uh, I'll go after a heckler. I'll I'll shame them. But I think in this situation, this grandmother, she's the performer. It was her job to say to this six... Was it a six-year-old? Yeah. Yeah, it was her job to say... Uh, Really go after this kid savagely. Shut this kid down and um, do whatever it takes. Humiliate the child. Or maybe put the child in a box and make the child disappear, you know? Ooh. There's a lot of ways to deal with that, but it's really on the grandmother. It's the performer's job to handle the heckler. And I don't care if they're six or 60. I like this a lot. I think it's worth it, you know? I do. Even if it ruins the vibe of a an innocent birthday party, it could have just been a moment where it's remembered. You know, when something terrible happens and unexpected or troubling, and then um, it just feels like a nightmare. It, it could turn into a funny, like, remember when that happened, when grandma was being heckled? But no. No, don't do that. No. Don't do that. The The child should pay. The child mm-hmm. needs to learn that mm-hmm. uh, when the performer's on stage, the performer has the stage. And I know people think that scarring a child psychologically is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. I don't see Who it thinks that. that? Who thinks that? It's this fringe movement. So I routinely, when I was raising my children, 
would try to frighten them in the morning wearing scary masks. Um, <laughs> and I did Is a lot this of, every morning? It was every morning. Not on, you know what? I wouldn't do Sunday because I thought that was the Lord's day. Yeah. But I would rush in a lot six days a week early and wake them up wearing a scary mask and say the house is on fire. <laughs> I'm not your real father. All that kind of stuff. And they've turned out great. But yeah, that's, that's my answer for that uh, little tidbit is Granny should have shut that stuff down. Shut that kid down. And thanks for writing in. I hope that's helpful. I have a feeling it's not. But um, Conan, it's time for a break. And then we'll be back with more questions. Okay. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. back. Conan, some of the most beloved moments of your TV show came from interactions with your office employees. Yes. So maybe that'll come in handy for this next question. Sarah writes, a coworker is very good at taking innocuous things and making them toxic. For example, she reported someone to HR for finding her address online and sending a thank you card to her home. I cannot avoid this person at work. How would you deal with having to work with someone who takes seemingly normal actions and turns them into workplace misery regularly? That is so, I mean, beyond somebody who's not a team player. I'm just hearing it and I'm thinking, I would have a field day with this person because... (laughs) My strategy, and I think yours as well, would be you double down. So if I did that and I was the person who wrote the note, or if she complained to me and said, I can't believe this person wrote me a thank you card and sent it to my address, that felt like such a violation. I think I would then write a note to her saying, I'm so sorry that that happened. (laughs) That's terrible. That should never happen again. And I would mail that letter to her address Then the next day, I would write another letter (laughs) saying, still thinking about this, and I want you to know I'm on the case. And (laughs) I'm going to swing by. I have a gift for you. I'm coming by. I have a gift, and I'm bringing some friends because they are outraged that your privacy was was violated that way. Yeah, that is my feeling is you have to double down on that because that's the only way to exercise this demon. Yeah. If you get reported to HR for that, I mean, are you really going to get in trouble? I don't know. I am a stand-up comedian, so I don't really know about HR. I think you'd get in the in the corporate world, my guess is you would get a talking to. If someone reports something to HR, then yeah. HR has to go to you to that person and have a talk with them because it all has to be recorded. There's a lot of corporate ass covering. So there would have to be a piece of paper that says, yes, 
I went and I talked to Melissa and told her you really can't write any more notes to people's private addresses, as crazy as that is, even though it was a nice thing to do. So yeah. that's what would happen. This person is definitely, um, she's not operating from what would be considered a normal brain. Like she is truly looking to wreck situations. Yes. And it feels like you have to just steer clear. Because I feel like these people, there will always be a landmine that you will step into. Yes, that's what I was thinking as you were saying, well, just steer clear of them and only, it, yeah. and only have a work relationship but if they're complaining about a thank you note sent to a personal address that's available online, uh... I mean, couldn't she also report her for reporting her to HR for sending a thank you? I mean, or if her behavior in the workplace is bothersome or or weird, I would report her to HR. Well, that's what I would do is I would – I know ev- not everybody has this resource – but because uh-huh. I work in this business and everything, I would hire an actor or I'd hire a comic actor like an, an Andy Daly. People like, have local theater. You know, yeah. they can hire someone from their local community theater. I would hire a local actor and I would bring that actor in wearing a blue blazer and a tie. And I would say, this is my HR person. And so I'm reporting you to my HR person and um, play a whole mind game that way. And I would love the idea of having my own personal HR person. <laughs> and then I would say that the HR person at work has to now report to my HR person and talk to them. And it would be so much fun. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, it reminds me of this friend of mine when she first moved to Los Angeles. She was a PA and she didn't like doing her job at all. So right. she hired her own PA to do her PA work. Right. <laughs> I have an assistant, Sona, who who's pretty well known because she's on my podcast and we've shot a lot of videos together and I love her and she's great. But, uh, she, you know, she I would sometimes say, hey, Sona, you're not doing the stuff that I asked you to do. And she said, yeah, I know what to do. And she hired an, she hired an assistant. <laughs> that's the guy that that you met. That's that's David Hopping. And and she'll be like, yeah, David's got it. And I'm, I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> You just hired an assistant who basically, but you're still getting paid too. And she's like, that's right. That's right. And uh, you're not going to do anything about it because you think I'm the greatest person in the world. And I'd be like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, now she now she's a celebrity because she's on your show. Yeah. You yeah. Know? You know, she knows what she knows exactly what she's doing. And also she knows where all the bodies are buried. So uh, I'm not, uh, there's nothing I can do. My hands are tied. And now I think David is looking for an assistant. So, because <laughs> David's gotten very used to, you know, this is a pretty good gig, and Conan seems like kind of a soft touch. So I know that David is searching for his assistant, uh, and it's just never going to stop. It's like those Russian dolls. You keep yeah, opening yeah. them, and there's another one inside. Yes. Um, yeah, it's going to be a chain of 45 assistants soon. But, um, yeah, I, I have sympathy for this person writing in Sarah, because I think she's dealing with someone who is unreasonable. It's yeah. unreasonable. It's utterly impossible. I've dealt with people like this in different forms of relationships where no matter what, there is a problem. Always well, a problem. Also, you're dealing with someone who doesn't want to be happy. Mm-hmm. So what they're doing is they're setting off fire alarms and they're detonating landmines left and right. 
because they don't want to be happy and there's no pleasing them. You can't fill that need hole that they were born with. Whatever Mm -hmm. happened to them as a child, they were probably ridiculed by a cruel uh, magician who lost it on them. Well, probably because they were born with a need hole. Yeah. You know, no kid wants to be at a party with with a need hole on display. Well, I... As a guy who was also born with a need hole, I can speak to that. That's what I should do is start doing PSAs. If you were born with a need hole, and then I just lift up my shirt, and there's this dark hole that most comedians have that's this bottomless, needy... You don't have that big of a need hole because you enjoy weirdness. I do. No, I I don't. But I also do have the thing that all of us have, which is... You know, so people thought that was pretty funny. They thought, yes, everyone thought it was really good. Good job. <laughs> anyway, c- can you go outside and uh, and and take the recycling out? Uh huh. But so, but did, did you, you hear? See? Did you see? <laughs> but you saw what I did, and you and it, did it look pretty? Wasn't it pretty funny when they said this, and then I said, yeah. You know, if if you're a robot made of caramel, wasn't that a pretty funny comeback? Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. If you could just take the recycling out. Uh, <laughs> I do that with Stephanie when she goes to therapy or hangs out with her friends. I'm always like, did you say anything uh, nice about me? <laughs> or did you say anything mean about me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was in a relationship once and I was headed off to see my therapist. And the the woman I was seeing said, just don't say anything about me. And I was like, oh, fundamentally not understanding the concept of therapy. That, yeah. That, yes, your name might come up. Right. And, and maybe it should come up, and maybe if it does come up and I speak honestly about you with someone, it will improve our relationship. Right. But to, but to more or less say you're not allowed to discuss me is, problem- <laughs> is problematic. Sarah, that's what Conan and I think. So good luck with everything, but stay away from that person. Just stay away. Or hire an actor, say this is your HR person, and act out the scenario that I have written out for you. Well, that's what the part where I just said, that's what we think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But if you want to mention it again, you can. I'll do it one more time. Hire an actor. In a blue blazer. Yeah, and say this is my HR person, and then play this thing out as far as you can until you're fired. Yeah, so Sarah, that's what Conan and I think. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break to answer a question that came in our therapy etiquette inbox. This segment is where we answer those awkward questions we all have as people getting the professional help we need and deserve and is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. This next question comes from Sue in Chicago, Illinois. Sue writes, I've just entered my 50s, and even though I feel like a late bloomer when it comes to focusing on my mental health, I finally feel ready to address the history of dysfunction in my family. It's caused severely strained relationships with three of my four siblings, I'm the second youngest of the four, to the point that we can barely have a phone or text conversation without an argument sparking up. I really want to do my part to heal our relationships so we can be closer and feel more like family, even in our 50s and 60s. I think we all could use some counseling. Do you think I should invite one of my siblings that I think is more open to talking with a counselor so we can start together, or do I start by myself first? Hi, Sue. A lot of people your age never bloom at all, so... 
the fact that you're even having these thoughts bodes well for you, I'd say. It sounds like you're really in tune with how your family dynamics have affected your own mental health. In fact, your own self-work might be a good model for your siblings who share your family background, but have processed the past in their own different ways. You know, on the on the airplane, um, they always say to put your mask on yourself first before helping somebody else. I feel like it's kind of like that. If you decide to start counseling on your own, you can start sorting out what issues are uniquely your own and which are shared by your siblings. And maybe there's some conversations that are best started one-on-one between you and your counselor so you can organize your thoughts about your family first, you know, with, with your therapist. And maybe they can make this process more effective, especially if your siblings aren't quite where you are or are hesitant to start family counseling. Also, maybe keep in mind that you can always start family counseling down the line. In the meantime, you can remind your siblings that while your family's issues are unique, all families have issues. Every single family has issues. This could be a conversation you start with your own counselor or with one of your more open siblings. And these conversations will give you insight about where to go from from there. Sue, I hope that's been helpful and reassuring. Listeners, I want to hear from you. Send me your therapy etiquette related questions at don'tasktig.org. Thanks to our sponsor, BetterHelp. Now let's get back to my conversation with Conan O'Brien. Conan, here's our next question. Margaret writes, what are the elements of a good prank? How do you pick who you're going to prank? What is your favorite prank of all time? Help me prove that it's never too late to create general hysteria that people will talk about for years. Margaret, we are in the middle of a time when um, there's a lot of general hysteria. So I don't know if uh, that's what everyone's necessarily needing right now. I feel like we have more than enough for years, but I do love a prank. I love pranking. Believe me. My kids actually just got little buzzers where they shake your hand and it buzzes you. And I have to constantly act like I'm shocked. And then, and they'll be like, oh, get up and and go look at that. And I'll get up and go look. And then they put a whoopee cushion down. Yep. It's just a lot of that at our house right now. I have to say, I don't like a prank. Okay. Pranks terrify me. Not the kind that you're talking about with your kids, but um, pranks, I think, can (laughs) so easily. Yeah, those are simple. Those are sweet, small, simple pranks. But. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think sometimes I'm, you know, when back in the day when uh, I would be involved in pranks as a young man, I was always terrified that I would accidentally break the law or that someone would get killed. I just what I was very worried about a prank because the really good ones that you hear about, like George Clooney is famously always pranking his friends and, you know, Brad Pitt will come into his trailer and, uh oh, you know, uh, 
George Clooney filled it with hogs. And, and ha, 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 isn't that funny? And I just think, oh, but what if one of the hogs got sunstroke because those trailers get pretty hot uh, and I was arrested for animal cruelty? I don't know. I, I, that's more, my, my mind always goes to what could go wrong. So Did somebody really fill something with hogs? No, I think I made that up. But, okay. Um, yeah, no, no animal cruelty. Don't fill anything with hogs. Yeah, or if you do, make sure that the temperature's set at like 68 and that the hogs are all very well hydrated uh, and that they're not in there for too long. And that <laughs> once the prank is pulled and, uh, and Brad Pitt goes, oh, man, you got me, immediately get those hogs back into their own pens. Into their natural habitat. Into their into natural their habitat. natural hog habitat. Yeah. If you can avoid putting hogs in pens. Well, the pen I was describing is a very... It's a recreation of the, you didn't let me finish, University of oh. Pennsylvania, which is nicknamed Penn. And it's uh, beautiful. Uh, it's got a lot of ivy, and uh, there's lots of rooms for the pigs to wander and the hogs and to take classes, and there's a good cafeteria. Pig state. Yeah. Pig it's, state. Yeah, I was in no way in, in, uh, insinuating that they put in a, a hog pen, which I find mm-hmm. barbaric. Uh, okay. So yeah. I don't know. I don't like pranks. Pranks make me nervous. I think Margaret has the wrong idea. I think um, keep it simple. Little buzzers and whoopee cushions. Keep it that simple. Yeah. Don't get crazy. That would be incredible if Margaret really leaned into the whoopee cushion thing. Right. You know, I, I, I feel like she's not a young child. I don't think so. Know? I don't think so. And so that would be... So fun. Like if somebody was in an office, your coworker Margaret works with you and she's constantly putting whoopee cushions under your pillow on your chair. I mean, what a delight would that be if you constantly heard whoopee cushions going off through the cubicles? I have I have a celebrity story to tell oh. about a celebrity who did just this. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the day, as a youngster, I worked on Saturday Night Live and the host one week was Leslie Nielsen from the Naked Gun movies, you know, sure. the white and uh, and from the movie Airplane and just uh, this this hilarious comic actor. He was the guest. And so I got introduced to him. And when I shook his hand, there was the loud sound of flatulence. And he stared at me in that Leslie Nielsen way of like, oh, did something just happen? And he had a little device that he kept in his pocket that it had made that made the whoopee cushion sound. When you host Saturday Night Live, you get there on Monday and you're there all week. He did it to everybody. And he did it to Lorne Michaels. And he did it to the musical guest. And he kept doing it. Who was the musical guest? I don't remember. But, you know, uh, no. you know it was the 80s. So uh, yeah. Tarrant Trent Darby. Kaja Gugu. Kaja Gugu. Yeah, yeah. Jacques Khan. Mm-hmm. But it'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, and Leslie Nielsen, meet Jacques Khan. And blap. And uh, he did that <laughs> all week long. And he kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And then I realized that, oh, that's what he does Everywhere. He always has this thing in his pocket. And when he goes to a restaurant, when he goes anywhere, this was his signature move. And so, I love that. Yeah. And so that was proof. At the time, I think Leslie Nielsen was 72 years old uh-huh. or older. And I think he was doing it on his deathbed. I think when the doctors came to give, to check on his vitals and make sure that he was comfortable in his last hour of life, he had that thing under the covers. 
When I was a kid, my favorite prank was when all the different classes would go into one auditorium to watch a movie or to hear a speaker. I would make no face expression, and there would be hundreds of students in there, and I would make this noise. (laughs) (laughs) And I would just, no face expression. And they'd stop the movie, turn the light on, and try and figure out who was doing it. And everybody was just sitting there. And even with the light on, while the teacher was like, who is making this noise? I would, I would just go, <laughs> But wait a minute. The kids next to you must have known it was you. They knew it was me, but I always did it. And they thought it was so funny. Good. And so nobody would tell on me. And we would all just sit there and um, and drive the poor woman insane. I had many, many pranks, and that was one of my favorites. But um, anyway, Margaret, stick to the whoopee cushion. Yes. It would be so incredible to have this woman named Margaret in the office placing whoopee cushions under everyone's seats. Also, I just got uh, some intel that the week that oh. Leslie Nielsen hosted, it was the Cowboy Junkies. We're the musical guest. Yeah, I so, love the Cowboy Junkies. Well, I assure you that every member of the Cowboy Junkies will back me up mm-hmm. that when they met Leslie Nielsen and shook his hand, <laughs> they heard an explosive sound of flatulence. Well, you know what's interesting is how mellow and quiet the Cowboy Junkies are. I wonder if you go back and watch that episode, if you can hear <laughs> flagellants yes. in the background backstage because they're I'm sure you so can. quiet. I'm sure wow. you can. I'm sure you can. It. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, it probably bleeds through into their performance and it probably rattled them a little bit or enhanced the song. You decide. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Conan, we've reached the final segment of the show. It's called Best Advice, Worst Advice. Okay. This is a segment where we ask people about memorable advice they've received. You, however, are also known for giving advice, specifically at commencement addresses. Yeah. In 2000, you told the graduating class at Harvard, don't be afraid to fail. Yeah. In 2011... You said to Dartmouth grads, though you should not fear failure, you should do your very best to avoid it. Yeah, yeah. Do you stand by your advice still? Oh, God, no. I just, I move from town to town giving advice and hoping that no one will ever back up. Well, wait, what did you say? You know, we heard your last advice in the other town. It doesn't quite jive with this advice. Um, Mm. Yeah, I, I I would say the one through line in... Everything I've tried to tell younger people, which is true, is you have less to lose than you think you do. Because I was always so terrified of being embarrassed or ironically making an ass of myself. And then, you know, if you think about it, like in 1993, when I started in television and took a lot of heat for having a really weird show that in no way looked professional (laughs) uh, and following Letterman at his height, uh, what did I have to lose? I was 30. You know, and I, I try to tell young people that um, they shouldn't be afraid to get out there and get dirty. So that's something that I am sincere about. And that is, I think, a through line through any of the speeches I've given over the years is I, I try and let them know that I've screwed up plenty. I'm a ridiculous person, but I'm having a good time. And um, you shouldn't be afraid to try. So I would say that's my advice. Yeah. 
Okay. And what would you say is the worst advice that you've ever gotten? The worst advice I've ever gotten? Uh, honestly? Yes. I think, with no joking aside, I think when anytime someone's got an idea for how to make a lot of money quickly, mm-hmm. that's something you get a lot of advice about. And I always steer clear of those people, you know? When I had a chance early on to buy Microsoft stock, I stayed away. Uh, same with Google uh, and same with Facebook. Um, I was suspicious and I lost out on a massive fortune because of it. But I'm going to stick with my, my decisions. Always avoid anyone saying, hey, you could make a lot of money if you invested in this. So even though you've missed out on loads of cash, you still say... Well, because we don't know really where the Apple stock is going to end up. Mm-hmm. So right now it looks like across the board I made terrible choices. But let's see in 10, 15 years, you know? Yes, I've probably missed out on making upwards of $900 million by refusing to take any of this advice. But who knows? Maybe in a few years, that'll be down to 800 or 700 million that I've lost out on. Okay, now, since you're giving financial advice, Mm -hmm. which is what most people tune into this show for. As they should. What is your feeling about investing in real estate? Well, I think... If you're going to buy in a neighborhood, make sure that the houses on either side of you (laughs) are completed and are new construction. (laughs) Don't buy a nice house that's on either side of two houses that you know are very quickly going to be torn down and rebuilt. And especially don't do that if you have twins. If you've got twins who have to live through this noise, that's going to be scarring and upsetting for them. Oh my gosh, my kids are in heaven. They go on tours of these houses that are being rebuilt and they're, you know, always peeking over the fence at the construction. They're in heaven. I, um, I'm sad to say that the show just came to an end, not because it naturally does, but because I'm going to cut you off there. <laughs> And because because I can, of what you said. Yeah, because I mocked the fact that there's construction on either side of your house at the same time. I mean, it's ridiculous. It is so stupid. And it's stupid because I have two podcasts. It's just ridiculous. But the show's over, Conan. The show is over. Well. Do you want to promote anything? I have nothing to promote. Look at me. Not what, even what? your podcast? Because this you're going to see a bump. You're going to see a bump. Conan O'Brien needs a friend wherever you're, you get your podcasts. You know, you got to check that out. I'll take you on the ride of your life. It's a great podcast. You're good at what you do, sir. (laughs) Well, thank you, as as are you. Thank you. Goodbye to you, Take. You're a very good person, and I enjoy my time with you very much. And I, you. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) And once again, the next episode drops April 20th. No new episodes for three weeks. Don't ask me again. I'll be on vacation. However, do come see my other show, my live show called Hello Again, on tour. Where might you ask? Cities are listed at tignotaro.com. Get your tickets before they're sold out.
Don't Ask Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Ouellette, Shana Deloria, and Ryan Lohr. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Johnny Vince Evans and Eric Romani. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Production support from Pizza Shark. Our theme music is Friend and Tig by Edie Burkell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Burkell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Lily Kim, Alex Shafford, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana. And I'll tell Becky. I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, <laughs> we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool. <laughs>